This is the Indian Players Podcast, Episode 5, Sovereignty in Games, recorded sometime in 2015. My name is Tyler Prather, and we're here with another session of Indian Players, and today we're going to be talking about sovereignty. Now, sovereignty comes up in many dialogues about indigenous rights, uh, and mainly in place. And so we're going to be discussing sovereignty in gaming and how it, it crops up or creeps up in various aspects. Uh, so mainly being is how... As, as I see it, um, in the story of a game, how sovereignty is challenged, being the sovereignty of the character who you are playing, the sovereignty of the places you interact in, or in the general you know, plot, how one opposing sovereignty infringes on another or is infringed on by that other. Yeah, I think that's actually pretty interesting. And by the way, this is Jonathan Tomave, PhD, yet again, uh, of what you're bringing up about that notion of sovereignty, because going back again to the game that I tend to play the most because it's still as free as Neverwinter. And the notion of the hero is that, you know, you are generally, at, which is interesting because it can be like human or a drow, it doesn't really matter. Um, but you're fighting against the forces of evil, which, you know, First, it brings up that question of, uh, of evil in there. But one of the very first actual little campaign missions you play on is against a gang called the Nashers, which is trying to steal the crown and therefore undermine the king's legitimate claim to be the claim to be the king. You know, that's what they're trying to do. That's, that's the very first thing, and that's against other humans, you know, uh, NPCs, of course, and so on and so forth. That, of course, they're going to win because that's the way it's set up because, you know, these games never allow for the hero to lose and then to see a bad end, right? Because that's just not a good business model. But every mission that you go through, every race that you deal with, it's always attacking the sovereign state of Neverwinter. You know, you know, from orcs to devils to uh, creatures that come from the far realm, which are basically kind of like Lovecraftian horrors and stuff like that. You know, it's always it's always that notion, you know, and that, you know, you are always outnumbered, always outgunned. Right. And you're always to exact revenge because, well, we're too weak to actually do anything. So you must go out there and fight for us. But, you know, it never really asks the question why it happens. You know, why? Why is this invasion occurring? You know, you assume, I think, in that game that, you know, you are in the right which I think everybody does, we're in the right. But, you know, what, I always imagine, what would the history could have been? You know, did, you know, was somebody else there before that we encroached upon and kicked them out? Which certainly we can see happens throughout human history, you know, and, and not really getting an idea of, of what the opposition, how they see things, you know, because it's very clear cut, you know, what, what what's going on. And wasn't it the original Baller's Gate where, you had the option of attacking like a cobalt village or something like that and you find out that they just want to be left alone and you actually came in to kill them 
You know, they they, they weren't bothering anybody, <laughs> but you know, they they were they're, they're a threat because well they're kobolds. Well, why? Because they're kobolds. You know, and, and you know they're they're evil. You know, and that should be enough, right? They're not us. They're them. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're that. Well, and this is Gabe de Los Angeles again. Um, this is this is uh, I mean at least specifically with with Neverwinter, you're talking about a riff off of the Tolkien esque notion of creation of other, where the 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 protagonists have a unspoken, at least an in, somewhat invisible, almost divine right of of protagonism, right? Um, that, that they can, that they themselves are, are automatically seeing these orcs, these trolls, these, the, you know, whatever they happen to be that come in as, as the ones who deserve to have whatever come up in the, the heroes and protagonists are, are going to deliver out to them. So for, for like, for games like Neverwinter and, and a lot of, uh, D and D based, uh, titles that, the, um, really it's, it's, it's still an extension of that. Uh, oh, shoot! What is that? That mon mon monarchal given divine right called? There was a. a oh shoot! It the wasn't. Right it was it the divine right of kings that they're talking about? And and uh, I mean that 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 notion of the. I mean the the notion of the Magna Carta came from somewhere, and that was through the divine right uh, given to uh, given to the kings by by God, right? The, well, the feudalism was based off of the divine right of kings. And as a matter of fact, a lot of claims to be royalty was based off of, you know, the logic was, well, I'm in, I'm in control, I'm in command because God, the God, or God or the gods deemed it so, you know, because, well, it's obvious. It's like one of those circular arguments that, you know, we, that there should be self-evident, right? Because, well, it's obvious I'm here, so that must mean something, right? Well, that's 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 a foundational practice that carries off into a lot of these games, right? Yeah. So, I mean, not even just, not even just these kinds of D and D esque kinds of games that you know, uh, you know, the 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 in in various, uh, like let's let's say take a look at uh, Dead Rising, the, the that the the mall becomes infected with zombies, right? And you've got at your disposal and uh, the, the entirety of the mall to utilize as a, as a set of weapons. And it is your right to pick amongst the debris, combine all these things into various weapons to defeat 10,000 some odd zombies that the whole town has been converted into. So there's, there's nothing, there's nothing engaging there about the, about like the, the problems of do you continue to follow societal structures no, you just do what you need to do in order to kill all these zombies because it is, one, it's survival. Two, it's almost an expected piece of the right to go ahead and destroy what we don't understand. In, in this case, these zombies, mm -hmm. right? So, so there's no question of like negotiation? No. Mm -mm. And, and, I, I, and I guess I, I, I think about this because of, um, oh, shoot, that show, was it uh, Last Men on Earth that, 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 that came out recently? Um, in one in one particular episode of, of this that I watched with a friend about uh, the, the the last man on earth had discovered the last woman on earth and she uh, has him stop at stop signs even though there's nobody else around so the, the at what point you know does the, the the as a as a as a person do you continue to 
push on these particular uh, norms? What right do you have to continue to push on these norms onto other and others in these particular games that, that are designed for you, the protagonist, to go ahead and say, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe out all these goblins because they're worth, you know, one XP each. Your comments have just got me thinking in a million directions. But it's something I've always wondered what the attraction was to zombies, because they seem to be really popular. Um, I've never really, I must admit, I, me and zombies, I, I don't see what it is. However, what you just said is like the ultimate story. Zombies, there's no diplomacy possible. Mm -hmm. The only thing that you can possibly do is destroy them. Yeah, that's exactly how Romero always saw them for Night of Living Dead. It was about communism, and then the one with the mall was about consumerism, all these other aspects. That's how he saw them as metaphors for that. And when you, if you ever had a chance to not only read, but actually have a chance to actually listen and talk to Max Brooks, you know, he points out the reason why he fears zombies so much is he'll tell you the date that he was, he goes, my parents were gone. He's in like, so it was so cool listening to him talking about his dad, Bill Brooks, and everybody else like that. Like, you know, nothing. I, I really geeked out about that. But he said, I was up late at night. And he goes, and for those of us who are really old, there used to be on Slick TV and had that little really weird bar that came across. He goes, well, I figured out the parents' code and I decided to watch TV. And I did. And he goes, and I watched this Italian horror movie. And he said, back then... I mean, they were probably eating cow or whatever, but they actually showed people eating tearing flesh, mm -hmm. and that completely just frightened him, right. right? And the reason why he frightened him is because he goes, there's a difference between zombies and all other undead creatures. He says, most, pretty much all undead creatures, you have to go to them, but zombies come to you. That's, that's how he saw it, you know? He goes, that's a big difference, like, you know... So they're aggressive. They're aggressive, you know... Dracula, yeah, he will hunt and feed, you know, like that, but he's not going to be indiscriminatory. He's going to be subtle about it, you know. Classic all this really Dracula, classic, like yeah. Bram Stoker's yeah, Dracula. Right, right. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, all, you know those aspects like that, you know. Um, even even Frank, you know, Shelley's Frankenstein, you know, completely different than how we see and portrayed, you know, in, in the films. He's much more like, you know, the remake, you know, the original, like the remake with. Uh, 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 what's his name? De Niro. You mm -hmm. know, very intelligent. Yeah. You know, someone's very self-aware, but because he's he's a creature, he's an other. Mm -hmm. He has to be feared. So it, it. So that's like one of the things that that comes across for the notion of zombies. But you know, and the thing is, when you're talking about like a zombie horde or whatever, I mean, that is the symbol of disorder, mm -hmm. right? Or a symbol for a threat to whatever your sovereignty is. Terrorism. terrorism. It could be terrorism. It could be communism. It could be, it could be whatever it is. Just, just this collapse of your norm, right? right. And I think when we, I mean, because sovereignty is such an interesting issue, I mean, term, because as we all are pretty familiar with that, when the Europeans came over here and they ran into native people, the only way they could equate their governance was through their own knowledge. So, you know, you're King Philip. You were this, you know, you had sovereignty. You, you were obviously in charge because of divine right. Not necessarily saying, well, maybe I was the most qualified. I, I drew the short, you know, straw, you know, whatever it is. Like, you know, I, I didn't step back fast enough, you know, what, whatever the meaning, whatever the way is, I you know. Step back fast yeah. <laughs> or like the Cherokee. Yeah. Oh, the women. Where are your women? 
Yeah. How can I negotiate with you? I am the, the sovereign of this place and men and women do it and you only sent men. So how can, you know, there is no sovereign communication to be had. Yeah, so when we look at this in, in games, getting back to, you know, the discussion, you know, and back to, I said, with Neverwinter and Hedges, it's Tolkien-esque, you know, it's always, you know, it, it, there's always this encroachment, right? There's always this threat, you know, to whatever you deem as order is. Because when you brought up Tolkien, Tolkien-esque, it made me think about The Last Ringbearer, you know, that, I don't know, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I've read a little bit about it, about how it's looking at Lord of the Rings from Sauron's perspective and pointing out that, of course, we're going to be shown off as evil because, you know, we were the adversary. You know, we were against elven oppression. You know, we wanted to bring progress to humanity. We wanted to do what humans do, you know. And so, and it was a really good, interesting look at that because it, it does bring up that challenge of, you know, you know, who really writes history and how is it going to be written? But what I thought was interesting is I brought this up to some of my fellow communication scholars who are really big into Tolkien, and they just dismissed it off. Like, oh, that's just garbage. Because it, it interfered with their their narrative and that notion of sovereignty and actually attacked a lot of their, their Western European background. Mm-hmm. Well, and one would certainly, I mean, it begs the question, did, I mean, Tolkien's books that became very popular... Um, he was a linguist, and he wrote a popular book. And it would be interesting to know what his thought was on Sauron. And he might have had that whole plot line in place, but it was not going to sell any books, any stories. And so he he didn't put it forward, perhaps. Well, I mean, just my little two cents and the dialogues I've had about Tolkien is if you think about if Sauron won, you know, kind of coming back to that notion of, of winning, you know, what he would have done is, I mean, as I remember, his, his end goal was basically to, to sail to the other side of the continent and basically say, this isn't a place just for elves anymore. You know, it's a place for everyone. Yes, he may have wanted to be the sole ruler of all of that, but that was his idea of, like you said, you know, tearing down elf oppression. And if you put a little twist on his motives that, then it becomes, you know, the kind of misguided villain who, you know, oh, I want to build this power plant to give free energy to the world so that we lose our dependency on oil. But since I made it, everyone's going to have to pay me for it, you know, and then that's the part that becomes evil. And everybody always forgets about the fact that he's his goal is to create free, clean energy. Right. You know, but <laughs> it, and, it, and it's it, it's bringing up the last ring bearer. It, it's a real it's it's a it's a real comparison to some of the newer genre of uh, movies and, and engagements that media is putting out there, like uh, uh, to take it back to zombies with uh, Warm Bodies, uh, mm-hmm. that that movie that was about well, Romeo and Juliet zombies. Right, but but it's still an an, an, an engagement with uh, zombies in a way that haven't been really portrayed before. That there's some semblance of uh, humanity not only that's left within people, but that people can be converted back in from zombies because in most most cases for most of these movies zombies are are uh uncommunicatable with and then uh irretrievable there's nothing there's nothing that can be saved about their their humanity especially when we consider like the, the massive popularity of the walking mm-hmm. dead these days uh, well 
I was going to say, like, when you, when you look at it that way, though, and you pull in movies that are kind of not necessarily like diehard zombie films, but kind of the fringe zombie idea, you look at like Omega Man and mm-hmm. I Am Legend and all those to where it's told from the perspective of that, you know, hero character who is on the proverbial new frontier because his society has been torn down. Mm-hmm. But then you have the spin that, you know, some representations didn't get that they the zombie horde or you know vampire horde or whatever you want to call it develops their own society absent of him and his rampant running around and killing of them becomes the reason why they go to him instead of you you know well in in zombie movies the zombie horde is always coming to you but if you spin that again like we've done with last ring bear it becomes the zombie horde defending their own sovereignty from the person running around killing them mercilessly Which immediately makes us think of the Matrix, Mm -hmm. and so are the zombies uh, an idealized? Are the zombies human, Mm -hmm. and the humans an idealized version of humans? Mm -hmm. So are zombies really what humans? I mean, is that really? If we had to be essentialist, if you look at it, you know, zombies—that's what humans do, which is what we, you know, the Matrix, the cave, the story. That's you know how how bad humanity can be and so it's kind of like zombies are us and then the the fighters of the zombies is the ideal us you know if we could rise above our humanness we would be killing the badness in us or the zombies Mm -hmm. and the constant consumption of each other is is also a big big threat but the, the the let's take a look at what these are the how these are being portrayed in 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 these games like so a, a lot of a lot of, you know beyond the the fantasy genre styles of games we're engaging with a lot of what we'll talk about as settler colonialism being portrayed uh purposefully within within uh games rpgs within first person shooters like uh, uh halo and call of duty where you know you have outright terrorist attacks or you have uh, uh, nations intergalactic and otherwise coming at each other for the purpose of controlling a one, you know, an artifact that will destroy life and all the universe or whatever. Um, and then uh, with with uh, RPGs, often uh, oftentimes outside again outside of the um, notion of, of of fantasy genres, we can go into Mass Effect, we can go into uh, Bioshock, we can go into um, uh, fallout where where the 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 pittance of of you as a hero character whoever you know what whoever or whatever you happen to be as that hero character are continuing to engage really heavily with other powers or being a mediator for other powers doing these uh, uh, little quests in order to get the the MacGuffin to get the get from one guy to give it to the next you know queen over here or or this uh, the the lady who's in charge of this particular casino to get to you know and so on and so forth but still being as a perpetuator of movement across uh, a, a as a as a uh, as an artifact a bound and and a, almost a boundary object that's continuing to bring uh, these sovereign nations together. Uh, either through um, through some form of trade or through some form of killing and damaging uh, said you know somebody's power structure right you know you take out all these raiders and suddenly somebody's very happy with you or or whatever but but all all told 
There are fewer games that are, are um, engaging with this kind of like uh, you as a member of the goblins, you as a member of the orcs or, or whatever kind of, of, of video game structures like um, Overlord. Well, the, a few, uh, not not a few years back. Yeah, Overlord. Or, yeah, you played the Dark Overlord in like Dungeon a dungeon. Keeper. Yeah. Um, well, and actually, recently, a few big titles uh, of Orcs and Men, mm-hmm. where you play an orc, and immediately in the beginning of the game, the story is kind of told to you that orcs lived in their society, and then one day, these settlers, who they found out later were human, came. Mm-hmm. And then soldiers came. And then that started the whole human-orc conflict of this infringement on their their territory and their sovereignty. And so then the game puts you in the role of an orc who becomes kind of a guerrilla fighter fighting back against this infringement. Mm -hmm. You know, and then uh, a a rogue kind of sneaky game like, you know, Thief and various other games like that called Strix, where you play as a goblin who is in of orcs and men, his companion who does all the sneaky stuff because he's a goblin, but... Mm -hmm. I mean, and so you have, you know, you placed in these roles as the other, but not so much as in just, you know, some otherized human, but the, you know, in in the fantasy genre, the other that is easily expendable and killed all the time, you know, oh, we need an evil, uh, pull, you know, something out of the hat, you know, as a random evil that everybody's okay killing, you know, goblins, undead. You know, kobolds. necromancers, you know, kobolds, yeah, you know, all the, all those. And, you know, and you're like, oh, we killed them because everybody knows they're evil. And, you know, savages, no one, like yeah, yeah, savages, Americans. you know, mm-hmm. and no one questions, you know, that whole, well, why are they evil? Why do we define them as evil? You know what I mean? Even in monster manuals, the descriptions don't go into, you know, like reasons for why they're evil they just say oh well goblins they are a chaotic evil, or evil yeah you know yes. and they spend their times raiding human settlements you're like well why why you know <laughs> it, it doesn't address that and so but then games like uh you know of orcs and men and strix uh or sticks i can't remember which is like s-t-y-x-x or something but uh um you know, it places you in the role of those hated characters, but the story clearly presents you as the good guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Happens in life, baby. It's interesting, yeah, because it, it's like, you know, I I always envisioned if I ever was going to actually make another D&D campaign that I was going to have something where you'd have this great insurmountable evil, right? And probably be demons because then, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, demons just want to destroy everything, right? They, they just want to destroy all the stuff like that. So there would be alliances that would form with unlikely people. So like I said, like one of the first accounts would be like, you run into a, a hobgoblin band, right? And hobgoblins are, we know in fantasy settings, highly organized, militaristic goblins and so on and so forth. They have pretty advanced societies, but they recognize a greater threat. And so... You know, unless you do something remarkably stupid, they would at least leave you alone or maybe once in a while provide you with some support. Because they're like, going, okay, we may be evil, we might have competing goals, but we've got a larger enemy out there we've got to deal with. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, just stuff like that. So we make it more like there's we are competing, but you know, there is this extra planier threat yeah. or something else like that. And it's interesting because going back to the only game I play really, it was that Neverwinter is that when you go to battle the orcs you know, the Many Arrows camp, which actually, you know, okay, has a bit of a tribal name, but 
you know, you hear the talking of, of like half orcs, whatever, saying just because I'm this doesn't mean I'm I'm an ally of, of this band, you know. So there there's definite pushing against like, and it is a player care the players that you can play the half orcs that are actually pushing back on those assumptions that are just in the background. Like you just hear these things being said, mm -hmm. you know, when you if you just if you just sit back long enough and you just let you let the dialogue loop. Hmm. Yeah, and well, that that reminds me of uh, Shadow of Mordor. You know, which you, you play human, undead, whatever guy, you know, however you want to define it or, you know, if you've played the story. But um, and the the biggest thing is the game altogether isn't too spectacular, but the nemesis system, which they're like, you know, the big push for the game is that it gives a, a form of agency to your orc competitors in the game. They aren't a stagnant spawn. They don't sit around running through the same five dialogue lines. They actually run around and depending on the random generation, you know, certain orcs, one of their goals, once they meet you could be to kill the ranger. And so then for the rest of the game, until you deal with them, you know, cause there's multiple ways you can deal with them, you know, killing them isn't the only option. And sometimes actually it's worse because if you kill them, then they come back with more XP and like more metal plates on their face. And then if you stealth killed them, now they're immune to stealth kills. But so anyways, the thing is, is that they grow and like when i played through the first time there was this one character who i killed and then he came back and his goal for the rest of the game was to kill me and then he became the biggest nuisance because i'd be in the middle of a sneaking quest and he'd show up because he caught my scent or my trail because he actually wanders around the map followed me tracked me to where i was and then you know wrecked my stuff because i was sneaking and i was in the middle of a giant orc camp you know and but then even the dialogue, like you said, you know, the, like if you sneak up to a group of orcs, they'll talk about, I guess, what you would consider daily orc stuff. You know, like an orc's like, yeah, three of my slaves ran away and I had to kill them, which really sucks because, you know, I had to kill three slaves, but at least I'll have meat for the next two months. And you're like, you're kind of looking at that and you're like, you know, I could totally see that. Like, you know, I popped three of the tires on my car. You know, and then just complaining about your tires popping. But I mean, really comparing human life to tires, you know, but or like even to cattle, like, you know, my beast of burden died, but I guess I'll eat for the next three months, right. you know. It's like evil, evil, not, it's not evil, 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 yeah. horrible, evil, 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 evil. Yeah. It's like, you know, hey, did you catch the game? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so what that makes me wonder is if you take that, you know, D&D, &D, alignment chart you know lawful good you know chaotic evil all those things and if you spun it around like from an orc's perspective because obviously mm -hmm. that chart is from the human perspective right mm -hmm. you know there's no the denying I that the idealized human yeah, the ide not not necessarily what humanity is mm -hmm. really like right but if you if you spun it around on an orc's perspective and i mean you know yeah you could probably use the same format on what an orc considers evil but i mean the description of those different charts would be really interesting to see you know, someone going in and be like, well, neutral to an orc is, well, they, they would consider it a pansy because it's someone who doesn't, you know, scheme or someone who doesn't fight. It's they just don't act, you know, and in orc culture, that's, you know, the most unworthy thing to be, right? Yeah, th that also reminds me of a NPC that you've run into in one of the earlier missions and it's, it's you know, were rats in... You run into him and he's a merchant and he basically says, let's just assume that, you know, I'm not going to attack you and you're not going to kill me. Right. He says, basically, I'm a coward, mm -hmm. you know, but I can, but I can, but I'm a merchant. You can trade with me, you know, and that is, yeah, that's so interesting because it's like, yeah, it's that always that personification that that race is always 
that thing. Mm-hmm. So orcs are always brutish or warlike, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and like dwarves, are always, dwarves men. are always men, you know, are, are all these other things like, you know, they all have great singing, they all have great singing voices, you know. <laughs> And it's it's just these the 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 personifications which you know they have which either project or provide challenge to get back to this notion of sovereignty, you know, is it, it, interesting because it's like you know I always tell my students I say regard you know regardless of how we interact interculturally, you know there are there's a lot of rhetoric that we use for justifying what we're doing right you know but it really is about conflicting ideologies. You know, that's what it really is. And it's, and we may package it in different ways, claiming legitimacy or whatever, but it's because we want what you have or we want what you, we think you have. Mm-hmm. You know, we want this land. We, we want we want that water. You know, we want those resources. We want, you know, if it's Mars, they want our women, you know, mm-hmm. which I always thought was interesting. If it's the Catholics, we want your soul. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's all of these things that, that are always portrayed, you know. But I think in like, in the gaming sense it's always easier to just think of the the enemy as being you know very much the enemy you know automatically automatically uh, evil you know automatically warlike automatically doing all these horrible things because everything that they that these in the the missions you get is like oh they they're capturing and they're torturing our people and then you always wonder at least i wonder like okay well if this was told as a really fair story what is it that we have done you know, what, 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 what things would they consider to be atrocities that we have committed? So, also, what's their infrastructure? Yeah, How do they you know, get food other than eating humans? You know, what's their, their primary national product? Yeah. So, I mean, are, are, do they have moms? Are there women orcs? What about their elders? Who are their teachers? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, that's a good point. I don't think I remember there being any female orcs. No, I've never seen yeah. one. No, and, and like, and missions ago, we got to get these, we got to get these battle plans. But fortunately, orcs are not concerned about actual intelligence, right? To get tactical intelligence. Yeah. But then you get a mission later, like, oh, you got to steal these battle plans from these orcs. Okay, well, if they have battle plans, don't you think they want to gather intelligence to they figure stole out? Them. They stole them. You know, but it's like that really narrow viewpoint. Yeah, but so that, that brings me back to another just dialogue snippet in Shadow of Mordor is orcs talking about going out hunting and how they have to hunt twice as much now because their crops aren't doing so well because of a drought off in the area where they grow their crops. And I just remember sitting there thinking like, whoa, that's really cool. I never thought of orcs as agricultural people, you know, and then that's because they've never been portrayed that, you know, Mm -hmm. when you think, you know, oh, the evil orcs, what do they eat? You know, in Lord of the Rings, oh, they want to eat the hobbits. They want to eat meat, you know, but like really, you know, unless you get into the, you know, the, I guess, politics of it, like what, what feeds the orc army in Lord of the Rings, you know, mm-hmm. and until you read other books, you don't realize that there's this whole other country on the other side of Mordor that is the entire farmland for the orc society, you know, and you would never know that unless you read other books, right? But then you think, okay, well, what's over there? Are there just more orcs over there? You know, is that where all the female orcs are? Because obviously this conflict is taking front at the, you know, the the frontier of the battle. And so maybe that's why you see all the male orcs, you know. And so you have this complete lack of understanding of where, you know. Isn't that up there with with uh, uh, concerning yourself with how deeply evil the rebels really are in Star Wars when they <laughs> destroy the Death Star that had... <laughs> 
thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of contractors who don't necessarily believe in the values of the empire, mm -hmm. but put together, you know, the need to, to feed their family were actually contracted out there to, to build this, yeah. this massive killing machine, you know, that, that, so, so to, to the tune of, to tune of that of, uh, and games then, um, there really aren't the there there really aren't a whole lot of games that portray a whole lot of nuance where uh, nation to nation you know sovereignty uh, fighting over resources are really concerned over the ideological you know the ideological differences that that really cast um, the, the reasons for a story for a conflict in video games to uh, together often portrays you know, each side in an idealized format. So if, if what we're looking at in, in terms of uh, what pure evil or, or the other happens to be, this is our idealization of what we want them to look like so that we can go ahead and continue to commit atrocities on them because we are the heroes of our own stories. Right. Mm -hmm. So what, what then when you when you realize that the there's a, a certain level of nuance that isn't being portrayed in in some of these games, what what then do you do with that? Do you do you want more than than a than a black and white uh, game text that that's being put in front of you? Is there room for black and white to be moved off to to shades of gray and nuance in ways that the mass market will handle it in games? Now, are we talking about video games here or, or role-playing, traditional board role-playing games? Because because I think it's easier to do it in the role-playing tabletop version because I because I remember one time when, like, my paladin was running around, you know, and he's a paladin cavalier way back when, when that character was badass. And we run into a Zorn, right? And, you know, we're talking with the Zorn, and the Zorn wants to eat all the platinum, right? And, like, no, we don't want you to eat the platinum because we needed to build our holy war machine, right? you know because daddy needed to have like a, a, a solid platinum you know dragon or whatever well anyway i i did some quick calculation and we had this ton of silver and copper and i go you could have this instead you're i mean I'll fill your belly it may not taste as good to you but there's more to fill your belly and so it was this whole negotiation because i go it's just a creature that wants to eat you know it's not it, it didn't attack us outright it just like was saying i want this right and so that's how that was. And, and, the, and the, the guy who wrote the game that I played, Michael Koninubi, that's how he always did things. Like, there wasn't always automatic, like, you have to kill this, you know. There was, there, was, there was parlay, you know. There was these things in there, you know, which I think is easy to do in that. But I, in online games, you know, I don't know if it can really fit in that thing because when I run around, I don't like doing a lot of party things with people I don't know because when I run parties, they just want to zip through a dungeon. Yeah. And they don't even want to like do it, but even the dungeons aren't even really built to actually do anything like that. Oh, they're they're all like, go go to spot A, hack the death that creature there, yeah. steal his treasure. Okay, now go to point B, hack that creature to death, take his treasure, you know, and so on and so forth. Yeah, you know, so I mean, I'm sure that there could be something there, but I'm wondering if it would have to be not if you can develop the AI to do that or if you would have to develop a game where you actually have real live people who are playing those roles you know for you to interact with you mm. so like an mmo mass effect yeah oh yeah where that's like because i mean yeah games recently the big focus has been player choice 
and the repercussions of that choice and defining yourself in your actions as good or evil and not the story defining you as good or evil. Because, I mean, yeah, you know, Mass Effect, what you do in the end is good for a large chunk of people, but you can still be an evil guy and that changes your motivations and things like that. And then in Fallout, you have very much the same thing where you can align yourself with well, the evil faction or the good faction, but it's never put so plainly. I mean, you know, in Fallout, the Enclave has their motivations, which in some way, if you agree with that, that's good, you Very know? patriotic. Yeah. And so with that kind of development in game about adding a sense of changeable morality, you know, it's very feasible to see that these things could come into question further on as we as we give more freedom in our own morality as a player character, you know, shouldn't we also give that freedom also to, you know, the NPCs, you know, and kind of that agency? Because I think it makes for a richer game. It makes for uh, a diverse community of people to interact with, you know, aside from just players and the guy who you run up to and every time you talk to him says, oh, it's terrible weather today. You know, oh, it's terrible weather today. I mean, like, no, it's clearly sunny. Come on, like your dialogue sucks, but you know, and so like and I and I think that I think that, you know, kind of coming back to sovereignty really defines like the motivations, needs, wants and, you know, importance of place to these multitude of characters that as a hero or subplot character, however the MMO or game wants to make you, like how that they really interact with it. I'm hearing a lot of militaristic activities going on in your discussions of these various games and, and, and somewhat around sovereignty, both a personal self-determination mm -hmm. freedom thing and a, a place. But it's like having just recently read research about how little money is going to education and how much money is going to prisons and military and Pretty much every game that you guys have just talked about, which is thousands as far as I can tell, um, <laughs> the the only option is a militaristic confrontation, mm -hmm. which in some ways puts this whole conversation in just, you know, this is the American society and the gaming industry is completely reproducing everything that's going on. Absolutely. So to, yeah. to take out some of this stuff would be, well, it would never hit the the mainline media because it would never be supported mm -hmm. so i guess all we can do is complain about it well the, the, there's there's some aspects to it if, if you really look at the nuance of some of these so some some games like let's take a look at a, a game that's extraordinarily settler colonial uh minecraft mm -hmm. where where the, such to the point where you've got you know you as soon as you spawn the game that you have an un, undiscovered seed of land that you can go off and build whatever you want and harvest the land for whatever materials by punching trees making tools and digging deeper so you can get the diamonds so you can get all these neat things right and then you've got you've got all these monsters and things that try to infringe on you building up a nice pretty castle or your replica of the ncc 1701d because you really want to but uh the the whole thing about it though is is that they they did eventually start to uh add to it this notion of villagers and npcs and if you go off and you uh establish a a, a solid trade interaction with some of these villagers that spawn up in these random spots They'll like you more. 
right? You do business with them, they'll like you more. If you hit them, they'll hate you. Then they won't do business with you. But they establish a sense of, of, uh, of autonomy and agency to a game where... And the, diplomacy. There's, there's, yeah, the, the, with, with, in a game without dialogue, dealing with um, these villagers that, that uh, didn't exist in the original uh, sets and designs, uh, and then you can go off and continue on with your little the settler colonial exploration and, and, and dungeon delving in, in this game. But uh, all told, at least they, they, they tried to wedge in some form of NPC who wasn't actually out there just specifically to kill you. But then they are also simply there for trade, uh, simply there for you to interact with. They're, they aren't people who are going to just suddenly jump to your side and, and, and uh, explore things with you or, or set up a kingdom with you. They have their own little village that they're tied to. So um, uh, the... The, the the notion of sovereignties that still can be pulled out of out of this are still ones where again with the exploration is a, a divine right of you existing and everybody else exists to serve your your needs. Resource extraction. Right. And, and but it isn't a militaristic one. Mm -hmm. It isn't a it isn't a drive for you to often go out and kill everything that is out there, but it's still driving a need for um, a continued domination of land and land as a as a, not even just as a backdrop land as a resource land is to be terraformed land is to be to to be explored and discovered because you know magna carta um and 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 in other, other well not just magna carta i mean this northern europe mm -hmm. i mean you have han chinese taking over all the other you know the other populations of people in southeast asia and you can look all over the world mm. which I think needs to, for me, what that requires me to do is to think more broadly. It's so easy living in Washington state in the United States um, as an indigenous person perceiving this kind of behavior as the venture capitalists who came out of Northern Europe. And it's like, yes, the venture capitalists came out of Northern Europe to my place, but they weren't, I mean, that was not unique. And this is, seems to be much more behavior that, a lot of human people all over the world. Plenty of empires. Plenty mm -hmm. of empires have uh, have experienced at some point in their growth um, and their civilization. So that if we look at some of the um, native elders that I've talked to over the years, they just kind of smirk when they talk, when they hear um, Europeans talk about their advanced civilization. It's like, no, they're babies babies who still think that venture capitalism and militarism and individualism is good and if they want civilization to survive might need to rethink that but it is it is the the philosophy that gets spread out in the majority of the video games and these video games are being consumed globally and to, to right. the tune of several billion it's like a boarding school mentality kill the child and <laughs> save the military uh, uh, the of the games that do tend to go uh, more greatly worldwide, it's still very uh, StarCraft II, the popularity of StarCraft and and, and Le League of Legends. It's still a, a militaristic, strategic, mm -hmm. hoard the resources, defend these things, mm -hmm. kill the other guy kind of mentality. Well, and is it that way because that's what the developers have 
I mean, it's like when you're talking about there are no women in that one game because yeah. there were no women developers. So if we were to put take out all the game developers and replace them with native women, what would our video game start looking like? Con conflict is a form of uh, competition that allows, allows for... Um, a lot of these kinds of players who might not uh, play and participate in sport-like activities to have a form of competition to continue to to portray. Um, so, you know, you've got all these very, very popular um, gaming conventions that get together and, and have hundreds of thousands of dollars in there as rewards for being the best at um uh, continuing to play these these very militaristic designs and simulations because because I I, I really don't have a, a good place to go with it. I mean it it, it is a it is a perpetuating machine, but it is a perpetuating machine for for competing sovereignties and and, and depictions of these particular practices. Mm -hmm. um, but it also is is a, a, a meeting place for a lot of the, the, these kinds of players of games who don't necessarily get to be the best at anything else in, except for these particular games. And, and well, to, uh, to, to bring a little bit more of some communication theory into this, um, there are some interesting statistics that we have out there right now is that the, U the United States, it is 50% of what it produces is popular culture items. So we're dealing with culture, popular culture, you know, uh, cultural artifacts, so on and so forth. You know, we're, that's our industry. And we can see it very obvious you know out there like you know tie-ins with movies tv shows products stuff like that um some people do claim there's there's there is one position that claims that this is just you know another form of colonization because globalization and that's that's an equivalency mm -hmm. um we're spreading cultural imperialism you know basically trying to homogenize the world and so on and so forth of course the capitalists will never see it that way because they're just going we just need to move into emerging markets because this is just good business right uh, but with that said, is that, you know, things do get made and things become replicated and, and how we, and how it's seen, you know, is kind of like the nature versus nurture argument. So, you know, it's both things as in it's creating the form and it's also reinforcing the form, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, and because things do change. I mean, when you're talking about in our earlier podcast about the, about the, you know, period piece for Japan, you know, the, the mods that eventually will become much more normalized you know because there will be a demand for it there'll be there'll be voices for it and the change will occur now that's that's inevitable but the thing is is that when these radical shifts change you know it's going to start from from that those those small groups until it becomes monetized until somebody finally says oh we can make some more money off of this mm -hmm. you know so that's there <laughs> and, and and the thing is like you know you know, it does reinforce, these games reinforce our notions of capitalism. It does wish fulfillment. It does a whole lot of things, you know, because it, it just does. But then it does beg the question, I think, as in, is this all that there is? You know, is this the only type of games that we can have out there? And I say no. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, I haven't had a chance to delve into as many games as I'd like to online, but I'm sure there's, there's elements out there that don't subscribe to like I said, the militarism, you know, these clearly defined goals, this clearly defined us versus them, you know, as has been brought up, you know, and actually allows for 
for these competing ideologies ideologies to be in play. And, and you know, and I know that you kind of like you may have a little bit of issue with Bakhtin, you know, at some of his stuff, you know. But I do like, you know, you know his, you know his view of dialogics. I mean, it, it does work here, you know that that you know we need all these things here to have our conversations, you know. So you know we need we need these different inputs that come in because, quite frankly, I'm I'm very terrified at the fact that if we just have all online games that are killing everything, right? I, I really am. I that just doesn't interest me. And a matter of fact, I've been looking more towards more board games again to look for something that's beyond that. Like I just picked up Quirkle, you know, and that's a little like kind of like a connect the dots type thing. We have to put shapes in, you know, just, you know, and, and there's definitely going to be a winner, but, you know, you're not killing anybody. Uh-huh. You know, you're doing pattern and color recognition. Yeah. You know, you're doing that, you know, but it, there's competition, you know, but, uh-huh. you know, it's not over resources. It's just luck of the draw and yeah. and your strategy. So I think it's all possible. It's just yeah. that I think we just need to tell, we need to be very vocal what we're doing right now about this and also how, you know, sovereignty can be expressed not by my me having supremacy over you, but that, you know, we can celebrate sovereignty in a much larger thing as a we thing, you know, which was like the, the what's the game, The Gift of Food? Which I think that also just expresses that notion of sovereignty that even though there is a winner, it's about making everybody a winner at some level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if there was a way to take uh, the kinds of uh, notions out of cooperative games to turn it into a cooperative game that everyone could win at in terms of redistribution of things, that would be... That would be a different form. That would be the, like if you could reverse the negativity, like if, if of pandemic. If pandemic wasn't about, um, you know, stopping diseases. Uh, if if pandemic was about uh, distribution of resources, and focused on on a distribution of resources in a in a sustainable set of relationships, to teach that uh, interaction could uh, interaction could breed. A certain level of reciprocity across uh, communities, across across cultural practices, and in in a, in a way that reinforces things that that a lot of these games never will, because these these other games, while while these militaristic simulations are are um, uh, you know a very 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 sharp point on the market, they're also a very very strong point on the market. They're really popular. You know, winning winning over others in these com- competitions in um, is is an extraordinarily high desired thing. Uh, you can't always have those kinds of puzzle games like you like that. That they don't they don't reach a larger market. They don't they don't hit that 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 tone of um, I I just accomplished something you know big by winning the top tier blah 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 with Tetris. Keeping in mind that. You desire that because that's what you've been taught to do. Um, although that would be negotiable, but largely that you know these games will continue to be popular because we were raised in a society that values that kind of stuff. Um, I still miss gizmos and gadgets. To me, that was the ultimate cool game. Um, it was just a 
educational thing that you played and you built stuff and you had to figure it out and you had I mean it was all like mechanics and physics um and I would love to see an MMORPG that was based around okay we need to collect things to build something to do something um you have a funny look on your face. There was that. There was that. There was that uh, uh, research game that uh, that they that they produced over at uh, UW. Um, oh, it was a real live one to try to figure out some. The protein fo uh, fold it. Yeah. The 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 to figure out uh, how to fold protein chains, uh, and and um, to get it. So utilizing a very very you know lovely piece of of scientific research. Uh, created well, I guess it, it would be neat if it was a more you know popular game that hit out there. But... Yeah, it didn't go far, and you don't hear about it much. Although I guess it actually did. It did what it was intended to it do. Did what it was intended to do. They, yeah. they found the the chains that they would want to be folding yeah. as, as necessary. Um, but but to to continue to create practices like that, where where we're outsourcing research out, or, or outside outsourcing. Puzzle, puzzling out a problem to, to the greater population to, to something uh, that we are having problems just sitting down and negotiating ourselves as, as, as designers, as researchers. That would, that would be a hell of a set of games to pick up and design. And, you know, even, even the, that phrase that's now not to be said in several states of the country, uh, climate change, <laughs> Um, if you were to make a video game and, and not even necessarily do like what the governor here is trying to, you know, reduce our carbon footprint. But there's a, a large um, push for people saying, wow, the climate's changing, so we need to do more GMO, you know, agriculture so that we can allow for it. You know, I don't care how you uh, embrace or how you engage with the issue that we seem to be in a warming phase mm -hmm. in our planet. I mean, God, what a cool game. I mean, however you want to do it. How, you know, if you want to, like, try to decrease um, greenhouse gases or remake food sources, we're going to be in a whole lot of hurt. And why not make a video game? How is Washington State going to have drinking water without our snowpack? Right. You know, let's, let's make a game. So Civ 6 should really be Civ 6 climate change. Uh, and uh, about sustainability. Yes, yeah. Yeah. and and so instead of developing uh, civilizations to uh, higher points of quote you know development, uh, moving them, adapting them to the to to changes and because the assumption across a lot of uh, the civilizations games is that there's a sense of land permanence that that gets taken place. Uh, yeah. So sovereignties in games can be pursued as being adaptive as being movable as being not not you know uh, stewardship yeah so kind of acknowledging the earth's own sovereignty that would be yeah. and make make the game kind of where you give the earth an agency but don't make it about you versus the earth it's about you know that that cohabitation of you with the earth you know getting back to kind of those you know uh values of exactly yeah just you know okay well does our community have enough food well what can we do to get more food? Okay, well, here's a short-term goal that'll get us the food we need. But, you know, and then the strategy of it is, oh, do we stack that up against, here, let's start this process now. So in 10 years, it'll, you know, yield more food that'll be sustainable on the long run. And, you know, kind of just stacking all these pieces, mm -hmm. you know, and feasibly through the engine of the game 
be able to see the long-term effects of them and kind of weighing that too. Mm-hmm. And then, and then of course you have the you know curveballs that the Earth could throw at you. Be like, oh well, I'm going to randomly start some seismic activity over here, and you know, well that could crop up new food or energy sources, or it could you know change the climate where you had your crops, and now there's yeah. all snow and the oh, nature of like, disaster. You yeah. Know. Um, Deloria talks about that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what the the rule of experts was a book I read a long time ago, and it took a look at at Egypt you know, and how when colonialism came in and how old knowledge was supplanted, which was just as good, the Egyptian knowledge was just as good as the as the British knowledge came in, but it was just to supplant everything. It's like, okay, your knowledge is no longer worthy because, well, we say so, right? And talks about how, how there was never malaria in Egypt until the British came because, the, because although the Egyptians did create, you know, you know, dams or whatever was never at the ever at the level and they actually developed everything to go in accordance with the annual flooding you know they didn't build they weren't doing oh we're going to build in a floodplain you know and oh disaster hits because well we built in a floodplain they they uh, they accounted for that for for that for their for their yearly harvest right mm-hmm. and they point out when the british came things changed and that's when disaster actually occurred mm-hmm. you know so that could be you know like little curveballs not just not just natural disasters, but when you might have like something that goes against your policy is like, let's say, oh, this referendum has come across, we're going to do this. And what the effects of that can be, you know, of mm-hmm. that. Because, you know, it, it is good to like think you can build a game where everything's nice and cooperative, but we have the reality that we have competing interests, you know, in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. And things happen that you can't predict. Yeah. So yeah, I like that idea. I mean, I really do because it's like that whole, especially when it's the notion of the sovereignty of the earth, agency of the earth, you know, because you know, that really does go against, you know, a lot of Protestant belief, you know, that is, and we're not supposed to take care of the earth. The earth is supposed to serve us. Yeah. yeah. And But it reminds me of that old routine by George Carlin about plastic. Ah, yeah. Yeah. That maybe the earth wanted plastic, couldn't make it itself, so it made us. Now it's got some plastic. It says, okay, you're gone. I wanted the plastic. Right. And now that we're finding plastic actually in, you know, our biomasses. Everything. In us. Not just that, yeah, but but they're finding fish. You know, fish, everything like that. You know, it's becoming part of it. Well, then it gets in us. Yeah. Answering the, answering the, 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 the ever-aging question, why are we here? Plastic. plastic. <laughs> Assholes. <laughs> On that note, maybe we'll wrap up this... Oh. But just one, just one thing, okay. you know, just looking at a game, because I've always wanted to play this, and I've realized i got to download it, you know, is that Crayon Physics game? Oh, yeah. Yeah, have you ever seen that? Yeah. It's a game where there is a puzzle that you have to solve, but in order to solve it, you actually have to draw the crayon thing to make it work. You know, so if you need to get this thing from one space to the other, you have to actually draw what it is. And the beginnings are very easy, mm-hmm. but then after a while, they go in difficulty because they'll, like, give you, okay, now you got to go to this point, then that point, then that point. you got to figure out how do you do that. So it's, it's one of those games that is problem solving, you know, and it is just completing a task. And I guess just completing a task is its own reward, you know. So, I, you know, I think that there are things that are really out there. It's mm-hmm. just that what's very popular are yeah. the things that help me feel better about myself. Oh, I've conquered this. I've killed that. You know, I, I have amassed this fictional amount of money that really doesn't matter. Well, it's, a, it's a quick power fix, you yeah. know.
the 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 engagement then with with uh, problems of sovereignty in video games is one where we just simply do away with all of that and simply try to solve problems together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that does get back to indigenous sovereignty, you know. That's good. That's good. All right then. <laughs> Thank you.